listening to A Pastor in His Newspaper with Dr. Castro, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. I am Dr. Castro. It's great to be with you. We are going to be talking about a very um, sad, sad story, especially personally, because it deals with um, an institution that I have been a part of for quite a long time, and and so we are going to be talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week by my former uh, president of my seminary, uh, Albert Muller, and he wrote this for the in the Wall Street Journal called Southern Baptist Moment of Reckoning. So we're going to be talking about that. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I was joined by my fellow pastor here at Central Church, Derek McFarlane, uh, as we discussed the NIL, or Name Image Likeness, in college football. And so if you are interested in that, or just, even if you're not interested, and you just kind of would like to learn more about what that means, uh, we uh, please take uh, check out that that episode uh, called uh, Coach Saban NIL and the Love of Money. And so please listen to that, and listen to some of the other um, episodes that I have posted um, this past month, and uh, hopefully you enjoy those. You can get those on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can get those on Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, you will most likely find those episodes. And you can do me a favor. You would give me a, uh, a rating. I actually got one of my first low ratings, uh, a one-star um, don't know the person who gave me that star, and maybe some of my my being kind of a Christian-centric uh, uh, podcast may have been one of the reasons why I got a, a one star. Hey, I'm here to improve, um, and so if you would give me a, a rating, I would appreciate that, and share it. If you like it, share it with others so that they are uh, blessed and are encouraged and challenged to read the news with the Bible in their hands. So, Southern Baptists. Uh, first off, just uh, before I get to um, what uh, what was reported just recently, uh, to tell you a little bit my connection with the SBC, with the Southern Baptist Convention, um, I have uh, grown up most of my uh, Christian life in this in, in Southern Baptist churches. Um, I went to a uh, Southern the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is the flag, uh, the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. I have my uh, Master's in Divinity from that seminary. I have a doctorate degree from that uh, seminary. Uh, I taught at Boyce College for a semester, which is the undergrad uh, Baptist school um, in at Southern. Uh, at Southern Seminary. Uh, I was ordained uh, in a Southern Baptist church. I have planted two Southern Baptist churches. Um, I'm currently not at a Southern Baptist church, but I still have many friends uh, in that denomination, and uh, my parents go to a Southern Baptist church. And so I've, uh, I have I adore and, and care about uh, the the convention itself and the people who are, uh, are leaders of it and those who go to uh, churches in the SBC and um, and so I have a, a strong connection a long connection long history with the Southern Baptist Convention so everything that I'm about to say is sad and um, it's a sad day uh, for that um, for an institution that God has has used in, in a mighty way and. 
no institution, um, no human institution is perfect by any means, and some are definitely better than others. And uh, the SPC was one of the one of the great institutions, not only in the in the Christian Church uh, historically, but also in America. It's one. It's the largest Protestant denomination in the world, and has impacted many lives, not only in the United States but around the world. And uh, their international mission board, their uh, foreign mission. Uh, arm is the largest. It sends out the most missionaries. Uh, the SPC has planted more churches uh, than anyone else, and they have been just a great institution. They've had valleys, especially during the mid 20th century and into the 1980s, and then God renewed it and reformed it through Adrian Rogers, who is a, a pastor here in Memphis, Tennessee at Bellevue Baptist, Paige Patterson, and a few others. Um, and and God restored it. God's grace was poured upon that institution, and God has used it since the the late '80s and the '90s, and into the 2000s and the 21st century uh, to be a great institution of 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 of, uh, of sharing the gospel message with the world. One of the the one of the greatest things that the SPC has started has started and, and continues to use is their um, disaster relief. Um, Ministry. If if you um, if you watch in the news and you see uh, there's a tornado that comes through and des- and, and destroys an area, a town or cities, uh, hurricanes, floods. The one of the first groups down there passing out food and taking care of people is the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief groups. They, they, Southern Baptists have always had a just a a big heart for people in need and have done that and has been a great um, institution for disaster relief. And so I say all that because I think in a time like this, so when you read uh, an event like this, a story like this, you assume that it's all bad and that's just not the case. Um, But yet this is not a moment of celebration uh, for the SBC and rather it's a, a time of mourning and a time of of humility, uh, a time of humiliation is probably a, a better term to use. So, a report from an independent investigation into sexual abuse and the handling of abuse claims by the SBC's executive uh, executive committee. Let me tell you what or who the SBC executive committee is. The executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention is comprised of 86 representatives chosen from qualified states and regions and acts on behalf of the convention between sessions, between sessions meaning between uh, the actual annual convention. The executive committee officers are elected from these representatives, and although the executive committee does not control or direct the activities of the convention agency, it reviews their financial statements and recommends the convention's annual support of denominational ministries. It acts as a recipient and a trust agency for all convention properties and provides public relations and news services. The executive committee also performs other tasks assigned by the SBC and and promotes the general work of Southern Baptists. To carry out these duties, the committee employs an executive and professional staff in in its Nashville offices. And to help you understand how that, uh, this is going to make sense of this explanation, each uh, just about every state um, in the United States, each state has a Southern Baptist state convention where it has its own office, it has its own directors, it operates uh, kind of somewhat independently 
from the executive committee in Nashville. And money is then uh, given to the convention through its churches, through the states, and then the states designate or distribute a a certain percentage of its money uh, to the executive committee, uh, to money that goes to the IMB, to the North American Mission Board, and some other smaller institutions or agencies underneath the SPC umbrella. And so the SPC is not just made up, it's, it's a different denomination in the sense that it is, a, it is a collection of independent churches, or autonomous churches, as we like to say, who choose to cooperate in its beliefs and in its mission to work together for the, for the sake of, of missions, really, for the sake of training pastors, to training missionaries, sending out missionaries, planting churches, and doing other ministries. Uh, the view amongst SBC churches is we can do more together than we can do separate. And so what happens is they organize, they've been organized, they've organized state uh, conventions. Uh, and they also have, uh, they establish local like uh, counties or towns or regional offices that also they work together and do ministry together. And they share funds and they give funds to one another and they use those funds for different purposes. And so the, the SBC is a very loose uh, denomination in the sense that churches can are choosing to cooperate together. And, and so they, every year they uh, send messengers uh, to the convention, and those messengers, they can only send so, and so many messengers based off their attendance, based off money that they give to the cooperative program or to the, to the SBC convention. And, and they, every year they go to a convention and they have, um, they have discussions, they make um, uh, policy changes, um, and they hear reports, and it's a business convention. They talk about the business of the convention. But again, these, the, 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 the SBC is made up of independent autonomous churches that choose to cooperate together. So the denomination itself for the executive committee doesn't have any power independent it doesn't have any authority over these churches in very many ways Uh, again the churches are choosing to cooperate with the SBC and with its uh, sister churches so the report that came out uh, a few weeks ago the report is a 300 page revelation of decades decades of evidence that reveals concealment and denials of credible charges of sexual abuse in SBC churches now, there are more than 40,000 SBC churches. And each church, like I said, is independent and it's autonomous. The report focuses attention on how the executive committee officials dealt with abuse charges that was levied on pastors, youth ministers, and denominational employees. So while the report mentions um, these uh, charges of sexual abuse, Again, the, the SBC is a, is a, is a, is a, is a 40,000 churches who choose to cooperate together. And, and so there over several few decades, um, the executive committee has been has collected these, these charges and, and they have kept them um, on in a file but never revealed them to the public or to even to certain churches that would need that information to make sure that they don't hire that particular pastor, youth minister, or denominational employee. 
So they did nothing. The officials of the executive committee of the SBC in Nashville did nothing with the information. Uh, as Dr. Mueller writes in his article, they closed their eyes, their ears, their heart. They protected each other rather than the believers assigned to their care. And so I want to mention a few uh, huge, huge um, kind of exclamation points of some kind of shockers that were mentioned in this in this report because the report was eventually released uh, in May and mentioned some surprising surprising things. Uh, number one is uh, a former president of the SBC who in 2010 was accused of sexual abusing a woman in a Florida condo. A former Southern professor of mine also is on the list. So uh, you have a former president of the denomination, a former Southern professor who I actually had as a professor in my doctorate program. He then resigned in 2018 after admitting to an abusing a former student. So you have two very prominent uh, officials within the SPC that were mentioned in this report. And the former president, his charge wasn't even known by most people within the SPC until this report was released. Since 2007, the executive committee had actually kept a list of credible accused abusers and did nothing with it. They kept it secret until they revealed it on May 26. According to the Guidepost, uh, which is Guidepost Solution, which is a firm that uncovered the list as a part of a multi-million dollar investigation into how the SBC leaders dealt with abuse, the list began as a research project for an SBC committee in 20, 2007. So Guidepost Solution, who did this, this investigation, they were hired uh, to do this, this investigation. They, in their report, an unnamed executive committee staffer began an initial search for Baptists accused of abuse and found the names of 66 pastors, youth ministers, and deacons of Baptist churches who had been arrested or the subject of a civil suit regarding sexual crimes with minors. The executive committee staff then worked to determine whether the alleged abuser or that person's church was a part of the SBC and then tracked whether they were convictions, often by adding links to news stories. Those names were given to a lawyer, a longtime staff lawyer of the SBC, August Boto, B-O-T-O, who spent years trying to shield the denomination from any liability for abuse. According to the Guidepost Solution Report, the database, database idea was rejected by the Executive Committee in 2008, largely due to the uh, beta of the attorney's advice. Even so, the unnamed staffer continued to update the list until recently. Some deny that the sexual abuse happened. Uh, that person's making charges were... Um, were seen as not credible, um, and uh, and so they were uh, denied uh, that these crimes had actually been committed, and they tried to push any type of responsibility from the, the denomination. The denomination bore no responsibility to stop or hold abusers accountable, um, and. This presents some of the, the major issues with um, uh, what the executive committee did. They, they uh, gathered all this information, but then did nothing with the information. Um, they either tried to distance themselves as having no responsibility whatsoever to stop or hold abuser accountable. And I think it also presents somewhat of the issue, as I've mentioned before, of the structure of the denomination at large. 
it lacks no authority over any churches and and therefore since and it actually has no authority over the pastors who are 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 ordained in the denomination because what's hap- what happens is is a is individual churches are the ones who are ordaining certain pastors it's not the denomination at large and so the executive committee in some ways structurally has no authority over any particular church or over any particular pastor since they're not actually employed by the denomination at large and again these 40,000 plus churches are choosing independently to cooperate with the larger SBC and Dr. Muller in his article uh, talking about the the reckoning of the SBC uh, presents an interesting uh, understanding of where the executive committee and where SBC leaders really failed. Uh, number one, he talks about the doctrine of sin. And I think what, what he is referring to with this is that there's a sense where pastors are different and they don't need oversight, they don't need accountability, they don't need protective policies. We're trusting that these godly men, these pastors, these uh, sent ones or called ones by God, don't struggle with sin in any way or don't even don't even struggle with sexual sin and that is such a naive and foolish thought or thinking uh pastors and and ministers or those who serve on church staffs they have the same sinful nature as any other christian sitting in the room or in the pew they struggle with certain sins just like anyone else does hence why they need oversight hence why they need accountability Hence why they need protective policies. Um, as a pastor, I make it a point to, to be very careful, um, you know, how I do meetings with, uh, with women um, and make sure that others know where I am and who I'm talking to and doing it in very public places um, and, and to know that I have accountability to others and to other pastors and to other leaders in the church, um, and that there are certain policies in regards to, even if you're a pastor, you're not alone with children that are not your children. Um, there are all these different ways that, uh, and different policies and different structures to help youth ministers, pastors, children's ministers, whomever, uh, not put themselves in a bad situation that could lead to sin. And like I said before, I, I believe it's just complete naiveness and foolishness that many pastors and, and many uh, church leaders don't have any oversight, have no accountability to others. And, and it seems like the church in a lot of ways is okay with that because there's this false view that pastors don't struggle with sin the way that other people do and that's just complete nonsense and a very low a very weak understanding of the doctrine of sin that we we are sinful we come into this world uh sinful uh we have a sinful nature um and yes we are redeemed by the blood of christ and we are renewed by the holy spirit Uh, As Paul talks about in Romans 7, there's still a struggle with the flesh. There's still a struggle with sin. And there's wisdom when it comes to what you do and and, and, uh, what positions you put yourself in. That The Bible says often to be above reproach and to be wise 
uh, full of the Spirit, and a means of being full of the Spirit is to not trust that you will always do the right thing, or that um, uh, that you won't fail, or that you won't uh, uh, you couldn't slip up, because um, that's how, that's the that's the quickest way to fall into a hole is to think that you are immune uh, or invisible to to stupid decisions. And so um, that's number one. Just the, the, the weak view of the doctrine of sin, I think, is one of the reasons that has put a lot of the SBC in this situation is not uh, remembering that pastors and youth ministers and denominational leaders and deacons, uh, while they are called to ministry, they are still men and they are still human and they still um, have sinful natures and need oversight, accountability, and protective policies. Uh, number two is, is and I kind of, um, this kind of goes off of the last one, but I think it gets into a more, a deeper level to um, what's going on, especially in some of these churches, and maybe has been an issue in the American church for a while now, but the unbiblical views of pastors and ministers and church leaders um, and the view is is that in, in these situations that the woman is a temptress. And I think what it ends up, it ends up uh, associating is that all the pastors and, and ministers and church leaders are like Joseph. And the women are all like Potiphar's wife. And unfortunately, these pastors didn't run away like Joseph did. But the woman is a temptress. And that is really putting a lot of the the responsibility and 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 the blame on the woman and now i'm not saying that at all in every situation of when it comes to a uh, a man committing an affair with a woman that it's always um the you know the man's complete authority and just uh um there's no um there's no agreement that um, the man is is taking advantage of the woman in every situation but there's many occasions where there's consentment and there's uh, there's both are desiring uh, to commit this affair together but in a lot of situations pastors and ministers and church leaders are using their power they're using their position in the church to get what they want and they desire sex from this, a particular woman and to say that women in all of these situations are the temptress is a lie and is dishonest. And it also is putting the blame on the woman alone. And that is just an un- unbiblical view that as if, the, as if pastors and ministers and churches are never in the wrong and never using their power and authority in their position uh, in a false and dishonest and a corrupt way. There are many, many examples, and I think many of the examples that are, I think most of these examples, if not all of these examples mentioned here, are those where these men have used their position of power and, and authority and their uh, prominence in the church to use for their sexual advantage, for their sexual desires. And like I have said before, it's, an, it's another an unbiblical view of pastors, ministers, and church leaders that all pastors and leaders should be trusted in all of these situations. And I think that is also a, a false view. Um, 
men, especially uh, pastors and church leaders, um, they're not always to be trusted. They're not always, they don't always speak the truth. Um, and they, to think only that the pastor or the church leader is always speaking the truth or always in the right is, again, a false view of and an, an unhealthy or unbiblical view of the doctrine of sin. That all of us are capable of sinning very grievously. And just because you're a pastor, just because you're a church leader, doesn't immune you or uh, to a grievous sin. And I think that's important to remember in this. And again, going back to what I've stated before, that's why pastors and church leaders need accountability. They need oversight. They need protective policies. They need a group of elders who will ask them tough questions. They need people who are not yes men or yes people who will just say yes to everything that the pastor says. Instead, they need people who will tell them no and tell them they're wrong and tell them that you rebuke them and say that you are unqualified to be a pastor in Christ's church because of your actions. That is a proper understanding of sinful nature of all humans, including Christians, that yes, we are redeemed by Christ, but that doesn't mean we don't sin. And so the basis of our salvation is not our perfection or our, uh, um, our sin-freeness. We are all capable of, of a grievous sin, but we are redeemed by Christ, and Christ through his Holy Spirit is renewing us and, and, and sanctifying us, but people make mistakes, people sin. And there is uh, forgiveness, there is salvation, but even though we are saved by Christ, and even though some of these people that have committed these sins, this abuse, just because Christ forgives that sin doesn't mean you have the, the right or the entitlement to the pastoral role. And, um, and so leading the church is a noble task, but is a huge responsibility to lead Christ's church, to lead his bride. And some who have unqualified themselves due to, or, to their decisions and their actions. And there is consequences of sin in this world. Now we are saved and redeemed by Christ, and Christ uh, completely forgives us of that sin, and that sin does not hold against us. However, there is consequences of sin in this world. And I think some of these that have been mentioned in this report uh, should not be in pastoral ministry, um, either for, most, for the rest of their lives or for a long period of time uh, due to the sin that they have committed. Uh, so just to kind of uh, kept you up, uh, so the, the SBC is, is meeting. They're having their annual convention on June the 14th in Anaheim, California. I'm pretty sure um, that, that will be, this issue will be a major topic of discussion um, amongst the messengers and the leaders of the convention. And uh, the hope is, is that policies will change. Um, that leadership uh, of the SBC will, um, they will, that God will give them wisdom uh, to adopt effective and, and uh, effective and healthy policies in regards uh, to uh, sexual abuse and the, and how people 
and the church are protected from those who may desire to use their power or their role or their authority to um, to sin against others. And so, and, and I think, and I think the SBC should strongly consider the the um, the consequences of churches or groups that deny or conceal these sins. Um, and if they do not choose or they reject changing their policies, they should be maybe considered removed from the convention itself. Now, again, the SBC is not really structured to, to do this. Now, there has been examples, even in the, near, in the, in the recent uh, presence, that churches, because of homosexuality, because they've adopted homosexuality policies or, or beliefs, they have been removed from the SBC. So this has happened before, and I think this should be considered as well. If you're a church that um, denies or conceals uh, sin, um, and is unrepentant towards sin and, and doesn't protect those in its care, then it should be removed from the SBC and be removed as a cooperative church. And so I want to come to just a point of application to all this. Again, it's a sad day. It's a sad story. As someone who has a deep and, and, and connection with the SBC, it's a very sad, sad thing. This has kind of been, this event, this story, um, has kind of been uh, whispered within the SPC for a few years now, and now it's kind of fully been revealed, and, and it's extremely uh, sad and, and um, heartbreaking. But let me bring it. Let me bring it to, to scripture, and I really want to focus on a, a passage in the book, book of First Corinthians, and um, I think this is a helpful, similar similar context to uh, what we are seeing with the SBC. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he brings up a an issue in the church. Let me start here in, in chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes, it is, a, it is a, actually reported, and again it's interesting, we, we use the idea that we're here reported, that there is a sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, which this is exactly what we're talking about today, sexual immorality amongst a group of churches that's not even tolerated amongst those who don't believe in God. For a man has his father's wife, meaning... Uh, a, a son of a, a, a father's son is sleeping with his his wife, so his stepmom. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though of absence in body, I'm present in spirit, and as and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment as the one on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be, new, be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. 
I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers, the idolaters, since then you would not need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person among you. I think what we're seeing is arrogance. You're seeing the consequences of arrogance. The church in Corinth, and Paul is addressing it, this is that you didn't deal with this sin, this grievous sin. You should have mourned, and you should have removed him from the church due to his unrepentance. But instead, you were arrogant. You hid it. You concealed it. You denied its importance, its significance. He says that even your boasting is not good. You have allowed a little leaven to ruin the whole lump. And so, in a lot of ways, if if you're a Southern Baptist church and you are boasting in your significance and your goodness, you are missing the point of this. And you're not using this passage well. We have been, the little leaven has ruined the whole lump. And the concealment and the denial has, a, has, a, has a, now has shown the, the effect of those decisions and proven our arrogance and our pride. And so I think this is a time of, as Dr. Mueller mentioned in his article in the World Magazine, it's a time of mourning. A time of mourning. And I think even for evangelical churches who are not a part of the SBC, I think this is a time of mourning the entire, the entire church. All conservative evangelical churches should see this as a time of mourning. A time to humble itself and to ask forgiveness from God for our arrogance. And and you see even in the next book in Second Corinthians chapter two, where this particular individual that, that is mentioned here in First Corinthians five is then he has repented of his sin, and then Paul tells them to restore him. To restore him. And even these, those that are in, mentioned in this report, even the churches that are mentioned who concealed, denied, even the SBC at large, the executive committee who concealed and denied sexual abuse. God is a God that restores, He heals. Christ Jesus restores the broken the guilty, the shameful, the foolish, the victims, and the abusers. It's so interesting thing about the gospel is that, as in Christ, is that it restores the victim, 
and the guilty one. Because ultimately we're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty before a holy God. Doesn't matter if you're a victim. Doesn't matter if you're the abuser. We're all sinful. We're all, and the victim is receiving the consequences in the aftermath of being in a fallen world that some sin on others and others receive the blunt of that sin upon themselves. But yet we're all sinners and we all live in a fallen world. And the gospel of Christ restores and forgives that sin. It restores the broken, it restores the guilty, it restores the shameful, it restores the foolish, the victims, the abusers. It restores them, it renews them, it redeems them, it gives them life, it builds them up, it gives them an identity that is in Christ alone, and they have everlasting life with Christ. And in, in, in that everlasting life, in that eternal kingdom, there are no victims or abusers. There's only children of God dwelling in the presence of God and experiencing the fullness of his love and his grace upon their life and so I, I pray for my former denomination that I was a part of I pray for my friends that are pastors in that denomination I pray for former professors that I had who teach in their seminaries and in their Bible colleges. I pray for friends that I know that attend SBC churches. And I pray for the victims, those who have experienced extreme suffering and pain because of people that they thought were godly models. Sinned against them. And I pray for those those abusers. I knew one of them. I was in his class. He taught my class. So when I looked up to you, he was the reason why I actually went back to school to get my doctorate. And some of us can be very angry and, and just mad, but also we can be full of pride. At least I'm not like them. I would never do something like that. I think there's, if there's one thing that we can learn from all this is those who are full of pride will fall. We will, they, you will fall. And I think the, the application and response to all this is humility and dependence on God, dependence on His grace, dependence on His word, and not dependent on yourself. Just because you're a pastor, just because you people call you pastor, just because people call you deacon or or someone who's on staff at a church, doesn't mean you're immune to a grievous sin. Arrogance is not the path to success. It's not the path to holiness. It's not the path of life. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear. God humbles the, pr- the proud. And this is God humbling the proud. He is humbling the proud, and he exalts the humble. 
So I would encourage you as you as you read about this story, as you listen to this podcast, as you think about the impact on on you, your own life and the church that you go to and the pastors that you know. Encourage for yourself and pray for them that they would be full of humility, that you would be full of humility. And Christ our Lord humbled himself. Jesus, the Son of God, who had all the power and he was, he was the exact imprint of the divine nature, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, took on the form of a servant. And too often we get roles, we get power, we get responsibility, and we think we're immune to the ultimately horrible decision. And uh, so... A lot of different angles, a lot of different layers to this particular story, and um, this will not be the last time this particular uh, story will be in the news. Uh, I'm pretty sure after June 14th, you will see uh, more stories about the SBC and this report. And so we will pray that those who go off to Anaheim on June the 14th, that God will give them humility, um, and that new measures and policies will be enacted. Um, and uh, some tough decisions will be made. And um, other churches who maybe are not a part of the SBC, but are uh, churches that are watching, that they will um, follow the example set uh, when it comes to humility and establishing some of these procedures and policies that, um, that need to be um, uh, made and followed. Because just because your church hasn't done this doesn't mean it won't do this. Uh, we're all just, uh, again, sinful people, and the church is full of sinful people, led by sinful people. And so the policies and the oversight and the accountability is so important. Do not be naive. Do not be foolish. and Be wise and protect people and protect um, individuals um, from using their roles and their power and authority uh, to do um, wicked, wicked things on other people. And look for people that may be in your church that maybe have experienced similar abuse and, and look for uh, just some, some uh, red flags, do some research, do some study, and, and look out for those people and, and see in ways that you can minister to them and care for them and, and, and their pain and their suffering. So this has been a Pastorness newspaper, and hopefully that you have enjoyed this, and we will see, I will see you back next week. Uh, and keep reading the news with the Bible in your head. See you later.